familiar with for whenever it says somebody in the scriptures were gnashing their teeth. I think that's important because we see Jesus six different times in the book of Matthew responding to or referring to people that were gnashing their teeth as people that were not part of God's kingdom. It's the response of, of people that are not God's people to God's authority. They are mad. They are angry. And we see that's the response that these people have here. For those of you that are note takers, let me give you a scripture you can write down. Don't read it now, but go back and read it later if you're interested. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 28. I told Amanda it was something that was interesting to me. I didn't know how interesting it would be to any of the rest of you. So I was going to leave it out of the, the sermon text this morning. But in that text, you will read... The time that Luke, because Luke wrote the book of Acts, that Luke is giving us an example of people gnashing their teeth. And if you pay attention to the context there, Stephen here having talked about uh, Jacob and Israel and Joseph and Abraham, you'll see some of those same things there being part of the kingdom and the people that were gnashing their teeth not. So you can go back and read that later if it's interesting to you. But look with me to see... What happens here? Stephen stands before these people. He delivers this strong message rooted in Scripture, calling them to repent. Instead of repenting, they get angry. They gnash their teeth. And verses 55 and 56 are pivotal, are pivotal verses for our text today. But he, speaking of Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So here we see, and really I believe that these two verses, this vision that Stephen sees here, really are, are the turning point. They're, they're really the pivotal part of this text. I think that they give us one of the main messages in this text, but there's so much here. So I really want to spend a couple of minutes looking at this before we move on, because I believe that this vision, and that's really what we see here, this is in the same sense that John, you know, John that wrote the book of Revelation, John is there and God gives him a vision into heaven, right? He is seeing into heaven. He is seeing into the future. He is literally, God is showing him these things that are going to happen. And here we see the same thing, but it's not things that are going to happen. It is what's happening right now. God allows Stephen to look into heaven and see what's going on in heaven. That's exactly what's taking place here. And this vision into heaven, I think, does at least two things. Two things I want to talk about this morning that it does. The first one is that I believe that it has to bring comfort to Stephen in this situation. Comfort and boldness to Stephen as he's standing before this council, as it would be easy for him to feel pressured to recant, right, to apologize, to, to walk it back. It would be easy for him to do these things because, spoiler alert, we're about to see this mob rush on him to stone him to death. And it'd be really easy for him to get scared and back down. But I believe that this vision of Jesus Christ standing at the authoritative right hand of God is a picture of God's grace to Stephen in this moment. 
to strengthen him, to embolden him, to give him comfort, that no matter what happens, Stephen, that your testimony is true. All the things that you have said about me are true. The gospel that you have proclaimed is true. I am the risen one. I am the one that is in heaven interceding on your behalf. I am the one that will not be stopped. This is what he sees a vision of just before these things happen. I believe it's undoubtedly a gift of God's grace to him at a very needed time. But I think this vision does something else. And I think that it confirms a truth that Jesus has told before this. He told these same people, he told the same council something just before his death. I think it was very important for the early church to see this affirmation of this. I think it's very important for this council to see this affirmation. I think it's very good for our hearts to see this affirmation, see this reminder as well. You see here in, in verse 56, what Stephen says, now he sees, it says that in verse 55, it's telling us what he saw, right? He's full of the Holy Spirit. He gazes into heaven. He sees the glory of God, and he sees G Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But verse 56 is what he says. So verse 55 is what he sees. Verse 56 is what he says. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, it's important that you notice the difference there. In verse 55, he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. But what he says is not, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What he says is, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, why is that? It's because that term is a very key term. For one, the, the term Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite terms to use in reference to himself. Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. Why? Where does that come from? Why is that an important term other than him being human? Why is that important? Well, it goes back to Daniel. If you want to turn to Daniel 7, you can. If not, we have these. You can listen or read on the screen. But Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, this is a vision that Daniel was given. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's our term. And he came to the ancient of days, which is God the Father. So the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So see, every time these Jewish people would have known this text well. They would have known this reference well. So any time that they heard Jesus say, I am the Son of Man, any time that he referred to himself as the Son of Man, they didn't just think, oh, he's, he's literally just a human. No, they would have heard him saying, I am the one that God the Father has given a kingdom and glory I am the one that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve. I am the one whose dominion and rule is everlasting, that will never end. I'm the one who will never pass away and whose rule and authority will never pass away and who will be over a kingdom that will never pass away. Every time Jesus said, I'm the son of man, 
that's what they would have heard. And so this is what Stephen is saying to them. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God, and he says, I see the glorious Son of Man who has authority and dominion and power and glory. I see him standing at the right hand of God. That's what Stephen says to this council. Now, why is it important that he says that specifically to this council? I want to read to you. I told you that Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man many times in Scripture. I want to read to you one such instance from Luke 22. In Luke 22, beginning in verse 66, it says, When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and led him away to their council. Now, if you take just a moment, that's where Stephen is. That was the Sanhedrin. Jesus was taken before the council of the Sanhedrin, who Stephen is standing in front of here. This is what Jesus says to them, or what they say to him. And they said, if you are the Christ, that's verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So not too long before this, Jesus stands before the Sanhedrin and says, I am the Son of Man, and you will see me at the right hand of God. And that was enough for them to condemn him to death. They could not stand to hear him refer to himself as the Son of Man. They could not stand to hear him refer to himself as one with God. And so when he says that, he says, we've, they say, we've heard enough. And they condemn him to death. And then not long after that, Stephen stands before the same council. Just picture this. These same men that were enraged when Jesus said, I am the Son of Man. And Stephen is standing before them. And he says, you have rejected God's righteous one, Jesus. You have murdered God's chosen Savior. And then in a moment he says, and I can see into heaven and I see him. I see Jesus. I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God in power. To the same council that was so mad about this. Before we get to how they respond, I want to give you this as a point. Point one is this, Stephen sees the truth. And I, I specifically worried that because I do want us to all be on the same page that this is the truth. Stephen does not just make this up. He does not just say this. Stephen, because of the Holy Spirit, is given a vision into heaven. And for the early church, it was good for a church that was being persecuted. For a church that was being arrested for their faith. For a church that was trying to be told, do not teach in the name of Jesus. For a church that had this man that we're about to read about named Saul leading this charge to have them killed, it was a good thing for them to hear. Stephen saw into heaven, and it was just like Jesus said it would be. Y'all remember whenever Jesus was before the Sanhedrin and he told them, I am the Son of Man and you will see me at the right hand of God. Stephen saw that. You know, imagine as they spread that word, Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus is the Son of Man. It is all true. How emboldening and how strengthening this had to have been for the early church to be able to endure this persecution and to press on even when it was hard, even when it was difficult. 
And I want our hearts to resonate with that this morning as well. I want you to hear that this is the truth, that everything that Jesus said is true. He is God. He did live a perfect life. He did die a perfect death. He really came back to life. He really went to heaven. He's there now. He intercedes. He literally prays for us to God the Father in heaven. He's waiting to come back and get us one day. Brothers and sisters, it's all true. It's all real. One day the role will be called up yonder, and every one of us that is in Christ will be there to celebrate forever and ever and ever. No matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, that's coming one day. Stephen saw the truth, and we have to know that this is the truth. Because if we don't know that this is the truth, brothers and sisters, we're not going to live the way that we're called to live. But this is the truth, and Stephen saw it with his own eyes. What a glorious blessing from God. Because this is what happens next in verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So what do they do? They say, we're not listening to this. They stop their ears. They yell. They rush at him. They grab him and drag him out of the city, and they stone him to death. That's the response of the Sanhedrin. It doesn't sound like the response of responsible men in a council gathered as elders and scribes and high priests. But it's what they did. They were so enraged at this claim that he was seeing into heaven that everything that Jesus had said was true, that they just could not handle it. And they yell and they close their ears and they drag him out of the city and they stone him. But I think, because that's not surprising to me, that these lost people act like lost people. should never be surprising to us when that happens. Sometimes it is. We say, I can't believe that that co-worker of mine got arrested for drugs. Again, I can't believe that that guy that I know from high school cheated on his wife. We're so surprised when lost people act like lost people. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't because they're under the power of sin. They're not led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see here. We see a bunch of lost people enraged that Jesus is saying that he has authority over their life. What I think is more important for us is not their reaction, but it's Stephen's reaction. Point two this morning is that Stephen followed Christ to the end. Now, I don't know that Stephen's reaction would have been any different had he have not seen the vision into heaven, but I can't help but think that it had to be helpful. It had to be helpful that right when this, this group was about to rush on him and drag him out and stone him, that he had just seen the picture of Jesus in heaven. He had just seen this vision of Jesus in heaven. And so how does he respond he is committing his spirit to Jesus, just as Jesus did on the cross, commit it to God the Father. And just as Jesus on the cross prayed for the forgiveness of those, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here, verse 60, it says that Stephen falls to his knees. While he's being stoned by these men, he falls to his knees and yells out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said it, he fell asleep, and that's a term for died. Until the very end, Stephen followed Christ. 
It's the call of all of our lives. Right? That, that not just on our best days that we follow Christ, but in the hard times and the good times, whenever we want to, when we don't want to, when we're tired, when we're full of energy, that we follow Christ. So I want to give you, again, we're in Acts, and so what we're seeing here is telling us what took place, not necessarily what we have to do, but I do want to give you a couple of application points. And the first one, there are just two application points, and the first one is that Jesus is God. It's the first application point we see. And and it's clear, uh, again, I believe that's why we are, at least part of the reason why God saw that Luke wrote down this vision for us. This same picture of Jesus who stood before these men and said, this is what you're going to see one day. And Stephen now stands before these same men and says, I see it. It is true. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is at the right hand of God. And so we have to be reminded this morning, brothers and sisters, that the gospel is true. That God really loves us enough that he sent his Son from heaven to earth to die in our place. He didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it, but he paid the penalty for our sins. He is the one that did rise again on third day. He told them he would, and he did. He told them he was the Messiah, and he was the Messiah. He told them that he was the Son of Man that deserved the praise of all people and all places at all times, and he is. And so we should be praising him, and we should be telling others about him so that they would be praising him. We need to be telling our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and strangers at the grocery store. And we need to see to it that we're partnering with missionaries across the world so that the gospel is spread everywhere because this is true. And everyone needs to know it because God deserves the praise. Jesus deserves the praise of all people because he is God. I think it's the main thing that we, we cannot walk away from this without We cannot walk away from this text without being in awe of who Jesus is. I think every time we read Scripture, we should be more in awe of who Jesus is. And He is truly God. But there's another one, uh, another application point here. It's a little bit less clear, but I think in our context today that it's very useful. And it's one that I've thought on over and over and over this week. And point two is that we must keep our eyes on Jesus. I think that, that we especially in the culture that we live in and the time that we live in, we can be really bad about this one, really bad about not doing this one. I I think that that this gracious act that we see here for Stephen, of God allowing him this vision into heaven to see what was taking place there, to see the victorious, glorified, powerful Jesus standing at this authoritative position, I think that it's very important that that's what God showed Stephen here at the end. You know, we, we talk about sometimes, or we see on moves, or we hear people talk about, uh, as they were coming close to the end of their life, that, that they saw their life flash before their eyes. Well, Stephen here is right at the end of his life. But brothers and sisters, what he sees that I believed helped him to continue on following Christ to the bitter end was not his life flashing before his eyes, but it was his eternal life flashing before his eyes. Stephen doesn't see a picture of his house 
or his high school girlfriend or his, his letter jacket or whatever. What Stephen sees is a vision of Jesus standing, waiting to receive him in heaven, to be there with him forever. That's what Stephen sees. And I believe with all my heart that it helps Stephen to continue on to the end where even as these men are stoning him, that he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against him because he's following in the footsteps of Christ. Why? Because he had his eyes on Jesus. He wasn't focused on all the things around him. If he would have been focused on all those things, I think it could have been easier for him, and maybe not for Stephen, but at least for us, because I've seen this play out too many times. If our eyes are on all the things around us, it can be really easy whenever persecution comes, whenever threats come, it can be really easy for us to give up following Christ to follow the things of this world. Whenever, whenever the main thing to us is money or popularity or material possessions, then all of a sudden whenever our job or our friends or our social media followers are threatened, if we continue to talk about Christ or if we continue to live for Christ or if we continue to do these things, it can be really easy for us to walk away from following Christ and to follow the things of this world if our eyes and hearts are focused on the things of this world. I really believe that if we spend all of our time watching, and now just let me be clear, I'm not condemning any of these specific things, but if we spend all of our time watching HGTV, House Hunters and Cabin Masters or Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, I don't know that that still comes on, right? If we spend all of our time scrolling through Amazon, looking at things that we might want to buy one day. If we spend all of our time watching American Idol and imagining what it would be like if we were famous or watching athletes and just dreaming that one day that will be us. Or if we spend all of our time reading People magazine, if we spend all of our time looking and comparing our life to the Joneses or whoever did, if we spend all of our time doing that, if that's what our minds are focused on, and that's what our eyes are focused on, and that's what our heart is focused on, then I think it's going to be more difficult for us to endure persecution. Because those are going to be the things that we want. This is not just my thought. I want to be clear about that. In Matthew chapter 6, these are Jesus' words. In verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth or rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus goes on to say this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I'm not telling you that HGTV is bad. I'm not telling you that Amazon's bad. I'm not telling you that People Magazine's bad. I'm telling you that if that is the desire of your heart, that I think that our eyes and our heart are focused in the wrong place. And that's the teaching of Jesus. I think we see an application of it here whenever we see Stephen looking at Jesus and being focused on Jesus and following Jesus. And so what does that look like in our life, like practically? What am I telling you today? What I, what I pray, what have I prayed this week? What will I pray today that your will be different in your life this week and next week and the week? These, these are some things that, 
that if you would read Scripture more than you would read Facebook or Twitter or any type of magazine, that, that if you would spend more time praying, that if we, let me be clear, it's not just you, me, if we would spend more time praying and, and less time venting, that if we would spend more time listening to songs that remind us of the goodness of God and the sinfulness of our hearts without Him, that if we would listen to podcasts or talk shows on the radio that are talking about the things of Scripture, if we would spend more time with Christian people just listening to what God's been doing in their life, I think it's a reminder that the church, brothers and sisters, is a gift of God's grace. We are gifts to one another. And if we spend time together and share our testimonies about how God has loved us well, hey man, I think that it's good for our hearts that when we listen to these sort of things and we read these sort of things and we talk to God in this way and we talk to one another in this way, that if that's what our life looks like, that our eyes and our hearts are going to be turned more towards Jesus. And when somebody threatens us, whether it be our our business or whether somebody threatens our popularity or somebody threatens to not like us or not invite us or even our life that we if we're focused on Jesus are going to say I do not care what you threaten me with because this is the one that I'm following because he is the one that's worthy so I pray that you're reminded this morning that Jesus is God and that you are convinced this morning that our lives will be more full and joyful and peaceful and will be more willing to endure persecution and will be more bold to share the gospel if our eyes are fixed on Jesus daily. So I have a couple of, of questions for you this morning. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? It's the first question I have. Because we see the reaction here of one man that... That Jesus is Lord of his life and he follows him to the end. And we see the reaction of a bunch of people that Jesus is not Lord of their life. And they follow their own path and they rebel against Jesus. And they want to do what they want to do. And they even kill a man that says that Jesus is Lord. So I ask you, whenever you hear the claims of God's authority on your life, when you read scripture and it doesn't line up with your life, do you despise what it says? Whenever I preach and, and, and the preaching says that you should do something different than you've been doing, do you get mad at me and say, that preacher doesn't know me? When you're in Sunday school and your Sunday school teacher is teaching a lesson and you realize that it's calling you to repent, you say, that teacher doesn't know who I am. Who are they to tell me how to live? Or do you speak in your heart with repentance and say, you know what, Lord, you're right. I haven't been living like I need to live. I have been a stiff-necked person. Is Jesus the Lord of your life, or is he not? And I also ask you this morning, if he is, and you know that you know that he is, and you know my, my goal is never to make you doubt your salvation. If you know that he's your Lord, then he's your Lord. But if he is, let me ask you this. Are there some things in your life that you need to change so that you'll be looking at him more? Is your heart too focused? Is your mind too focused on treasures of this earth? Temporary, in the eternal perspective, useless things. Could you focus more on loving God and loving people? Sharing the gospel? 
living in a way that brings glory to God and peace to our hearts. I think most of us can. I'm going to invite you this morning to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. We've specifically chosen this morning, Brother Shane and I talked about it. We're going to sing this morning, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I pray that this is the desire of our heart, that we leave here this morning thinking, I, I need to look at Jesus more. I'm going to listen to things that make me think about Him more. I'm going to talk and have conversations about Him more. I'm going to choose what I read more wisely. I'm going to choose how I spend my time more wisely so that I will be turning the eyes of my, my head and the eyes of my heart towards Jesus. So this morning, if you need to repent, you repent. If you need to pray, you pray. But if you want to sing out of excitement for what the Lord's done for you, then sing with us as Brother Shane leads us in the hymn of invitation.